Thank anyway, he. Uh, Are you guys ready to order? I think we're just gonna. I think we're. I think we're gonna drink. I'm interviewing him for a podcast, just so you know why there's random gear on the table. <laughs> not a bomb. Curious. Not a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> not a bomb. <laughs> the show might be. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You ready? Sure. Feeling it? How's the How's the whatever? It's all right. Barbera. The Barbera. Is mm-hmm. that what? Is that a kind of wine? Or is it's that a, a grape. It's a grape. Mm-hmm. A, you the, taste it if you like. No, don't. You're sick. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> It's I'll, good. I'll, can I take in the bouquet? Sure. Smells like wine. Yeah, it's actually not bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome down to another edition of Dive Bar Mitzvah. Hey, it is me, your pal Ian. Uh, thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, and we, this week, we are in fabulous North Minneapolis, right up on Lowry Street. We're at Tootie's on Lowry, a place that I have driven past a million times. I've only been at a couple times, and here we are today. It is a very uh, relaxed Friday evening here. Families are enjoying their meals, uh, which makes me feel kind of awkward, because usually I'm, I'm used to being in, in loud, you know, roadhousey shitholes, and right now I feel like if I talk any louder, I'll be interrupting somebody's meal. Uh, but it's a very nice place. Uh, I've had their wings here. They are spectacular. They're very good. And uh, today's guest is beginning to swear by their wine selection, which surprises me to no end. Uh, but first things first, let's get some business out of the way. Uh, the last several episodes have gone gangbusters. Everybody, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for sharing. Uh, thank you for your kind comments and all that stuff. But please keep them coming. Uh, yeah, please, when you see, when you listen to this, share it around. Uh, feel free to comment, especially if you're going to say nice things, because, you know, the, this show already has one asshole, and his name is Ian. Uh, and like and do whatever you do for these podcast things, uh, because seriously, you're... Uh, your enjoyment of it is what makes it all worthwhile for me, your friend Ian. Uh, now, I, uh, I am proudly, I proudly hail from the uh, st- great state, the Hoosier state of Indiana, and today I have another Midwestern boy with me, um, the pride of the Buckeye state. Uh, he is here with us. Uh, he, it's, it's been a bad week for him. It's been a bad week for me. It's been a bad week for Minneapolis, but we're going to chat a little bit about it and all sorts of other things that won't be nearly as depressing. Uh, he's a DJ of uh, great renown here in town, uh, old friend of mine, and I've managed to con him into everything I've done. He's been on the $50 pyramid. He's been on the match game, and he'll always show up with a smile and a mock turtleneck, which is the sign of an astute gentleman any day of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's guest, Dean Vaccaro. How are you doing, Dean? I'm doing fine, thank you, Ian. That was a good introduction. It was it was really good. I, I do I do all right. Yeah, I'm getting all right yeah. at this. Now let's see I, how the rest of this goes. I will interject that I was never invited to be on the Drinking with Ian show, and I did lobby for that. So I have done many of the things that you. Well, uh, this is basically the you know this yeah, is the well, continuation thereof. Fair enough. It's not like being on Sanford and Son. It's more like being on Sanford, perhaps. Sure. It's like being, yeah. It's, yeah. You weren't on Happy Days, yeah. but you're on you know Joni Loves Chachi. Right. Yeah. A, a different world. Yeah. Exactly. You know, a different <laughs> world. A fine a fine show. <laughs> Um, and speaking of game shows, um, and I think you've seen this, uh, my uh, really weird back way into becoming rich and famous did not work out. I figured if nothing else, you know, I'd start dusting off these moldy old game shows and everybody would fall over themselves going, he's breathed new life in this. He's reinvented it. Oh, my God. We got to bring this guy to Hollywood. Well, this I- did not happen because the news just came out yesterday that the $100,000 pyramid and match game are both coming back to the air and... I read the article twice, did not see my name. Yeah. Yeah. Damn I, shame. It is. It's, it, it's just more bad news piled on top I know. of more bad news. I know. I really should write ABC or CBS or whoever did it. I'm like, haven't we gone through enough? Yeah. But uh, we got Alec Baldwin hosting the match game. 
which I can only imagine is going to be a damn nightmare. I can't imagine Alec Baldwin having to like not punch somebody for more than twenty minutes. Like this is going to be horrible. <laughs> well, that could be good actually. If yeah, it does. you know, yeah. I guess actually, now that you think about it, you know, him calling people thoughtless little pigs and and punching random cameramen. Maybe that's, maybe that's exactly what it needs. You know what? Maybe I'm maybe I'm being a little short. Here's on this. here's a question for you. Lay it on me. Who do you see in the Charles Nelson Riley slot or the uh, I don't know. Richard Dawson slot? Uh, the Richard Dawson. Yeah, see, uh, Richard Dawson, nobody would have thought Richard Dawson was going to be the Richard exactly. Dawson. Exactly. So that's a hard one. I mean, and, and now it's, it's a much more loaded question for who's going to be the Charles Nelson Riley because now, you know, being gay isn't a crime in Hollywood. Like, now there's no, you don't have to have entendres. Right. So, I mean, just because, so you have, you know, a gay guy on stage, that means absolutely nothing. And nobody's over the top and really, you know, parodies it anymore right. because, you know, I guess you don't have to, and maybe that's not cool. I mean, I don't know. Who do who do you think? I well, mean, I, I, it's funny that you maybe you, we, can we get a drag queen? Can we get a Ru, RuPaul? Well, it's type, funny that you, you go know? in this direction because honestly, that didn't even enter my mind that it would have to be somebody that would be sort of gay or or but alternative. I mean, life. But I mean, when when you had you know either a Paul Lind well, or a Charles Nelson well, Riley, well, that's sure. what made a show, right? Exactly. But was it? I mean, certainly the entendre was what yeah. made their shtick. Of course, but 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 and 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 obviously their 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 sexual preference probably or the the undis the um, yeah I mean the wink and a nod exactly exactly but you know it could be a a, a funny a, a really good comedian or something in that could that could yeah. that could that wouldn't because I'll tell you what if you put somebody in there that's sort of a a a replacement for Charles Nelson Riley in the obvious way. It's mm -hmm. going to be compared and it's going to be off. Exactly. And I think that's what they've done in the past. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they even had, like, there's the 80s version, the Hollywood Squares match game, you know, fun hour or something. And they brought Charles Nelson Riley back, but it's just not the same. Right, and right, it's just right. kind of like, it's all, it's all the right pieces in a different studio. What about you know? like, uh, what about like, um, oh, what's his name? Um, what do you do? Eddie Izzard or something. Oh, Eddie Izzard. Know. Eddie Izzard would be great. Yeah. Well, and he's, but see, he, he's exactly, he's, you know, that's perfect because he's got the camp. Yeah. And we yeah. live in a ironyless, kitschless society right. sometimes. Right. And, and it's really hard. And I mean, more than the token gay guy, that's really what they brought to it. They brought the, like, over the top. And no one does that, which you is know a damn who, shame. You know who might be good in that role, too, sort of? Uh, and he's probably above this kind of stuff now, but um, what's his name? Um, what do he do? Oh, he's hosting the awards shows these days. Oh, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. No, 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 no. Although oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a good one. No, no, the uh, the uh, British comedian, uh, that the Office, the original. Oh, Ricky Gervais. Yeah. yeah, he'd be good. He'd be, he'd be good on there, whether or not in that role. Yeah, I but know. see, but then he's too dry. See, he's not going to want to show up. He is pretty dry. Like fun, fun. But, but he'd be a good Richard Dawson, though. You're right. You're right. So anyway, uh, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to sidetrack. No, I know that was actually that was a great bit of spontaneous conversation we just had there here at Tooties on Lowry. Uh, Lest you think still. this is scripted. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. So I'm looking forward to catching them when they come on. Although it'll just be disappointment because it will not feature me, your friend Ian, making god awful amounts of money. I can't even imagine what somebody gets paid to host a game show. I'm sure it's a shit ton. Well. Yeah, and it's not it's a lot like, better than it's not like Bald. Paid. It's not like Baldwin needs any extra cash. I know, either. and he doesn't need any extra gigs. Why doesn't anybody kick any exactly. downstairs to exactly. me? So um, I mentioned in the in the intro, uh, you are well known in the city as being a disc jockey, one who plays the platters that matter, spins the hits, um, the tracks of wax. Oh, I thought I had better on that. Uh, <laughs> how'd you get started on all this stuff on on, on being a disc jockey, a DJ? Because um, you play, you were at. The Rogue, you were at Graffiti's, you were kind of like, now, I mean, in this in this sadly post-Prince age, everybody's kind of, you know, uh, putting, you know, a magnifying glass on this, like, golden period of the 80s and the 90s, yeah. and you were there for the front line of it. Yeah, I was, yeah. I started, I started actually working in a club in uh, 84, 
in the club being? Yeah, uh, it was graffiti's. Yeah, graffiti's, and it was attached to uh, a disco called Sheiks, which is now a strip club. Sheiks and graffiti's was a pretty pretty cool place to be. Graffiti's being the upstairs sort of smaller. Uh, uh, hipper, I guess, um, not hipper, but uh, a little more new wave, so I would say, you know, uh, a lot of neon, and yeah. you know, it was that 80s kind of bar. And then Sheik's, on the other hand, was a was a pretty classy room. It, it's a historical building that it's in, and it was, before that, it was a restaurant. It had been Sheik's since the 20s or 30s, yeah. but it was a restaurant, and it's in an old uh, building that was at one time a bank. Yes. So it's a great building, and it was a great space, and uh, real classy. A lot, of, a lot of the old uh, R&B, local R&B videos were filmed in this in the space. Oh, really? And yeah, Alexander oh, O'Neill. Okay. And, 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 and the Jets and and you'd always run into um, in Sheik's I'm talking about now you'd run yeah. into uh, guys from the time were always down mm-hmm. there and you know that whole crew and um, and then Graffiti's on the other hand was uh, although they all stopped in up there too it was much more of a mix of uh, um, you know black white straight gay and then the drinking age was was 19 back then too so it was a good college good college age yeah crew in there you know and when i when i talked to people and when i had uh, steve mcclellan on on this very podcast a couple months ago uh, that was one of the things that he also mentioned how it kind of sets off a you know a cult a cultural time and place mm-hmm. when you have the co-mingling it was great i mean it really has um you know I've I've played along as the scene and the music has sort of uh, uh, galvanized into different um, genres, I guess. But mm-hmm. back then, it was really really cool that you were playing all sorts of music and you were getting all sorts of people, and it all worked. And are you just a greenhorn at this point? How did you how did you well, walk in and decide? Yeah, that? It's actually kind of a funny story. I'm I was, glad I asked that. Yeah. Well, I had been um, I I was the guy in 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 college that that that. That had a bunch of records, you know, and I had, and so I was the guy that, you know, if someone was going to have a party or we were going to throw a party in the dorm or this or that, then I was there with records and maybe a turntable and a tape deck, and yeah, I was just right. kind of playing the music. And DJing back then too wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like your name was on a marquee. It wasn't like anybody was wanted to be a DJ. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it was sort of a, it was it was a step sideways really from being a bartender in these, okay. in these places yeah, really you know sense, yeah. and uh or, or and and i had always been in school i'd always been in i was never uh in the plays or anything else i'd been in bands all my life but i but i was in stage crew and i love putting on the show i love doing the lighting i love doing the staging i love doing all that stuff so i was the guy that always liked to, to be behind the party mm-hmm. you know and it just so happened that because i was a musician and i'd played it my band played at a lot of parties and whatnot i kind of got an idea for how stuff worked to musically, how you could work a room. You yeah, know, we'd switch our set list up on the fly because something would work or something wouldn't of work. Yeah. So, uh, so I knew uh, that uh, I liked the idea of DJing. Um, I loved playing the music that I liked, and I had a good selection of it, and I felt like I had pretty good taste. And I was actually going to graffiti's as a customer at that time, and I loved it, loved the music, and. Um, I kind of hounded them about giving me giving me work, you know, and okay. and, and um, for I don't even know how long I'd been going, maybe a year. And one night, it wasn't a very busy night, but I'll never forget it. They had a mezzanine level where the DJ booth was, and the dance floor was down below. And I was down there dancing with some friends. We, you know, were there on some week night, and uh, the DJs up in the booth started throwing crumpled up napkins down at me to get my attention and I looked up they called me up and they said if we hire if we told the our manager that we wanted to hire you would you 
want to work here? I said, yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> and this basically, they, they picked me more or less because I had hounded them and I always made good requests and they're okay. for you yeah, know, yeah, good music. They knew I knew what I was, they knew I knew what I was talking about. They said, well, do you know how to, how to beat mix? And I said, uh, I said, no, but I have no doubt that I could, could. And they said, well, we'll tell them that you know how and we'll teach you how. <laughs> Basically, what they wanted to do was they wanted somebody in there with good taste that they knew they could mold. Mm -hmm. They had dealt with um, other DJs that the management had hired that failed miserably. Of course. And so they kind of said, well, we're just going to tell them we'll we, know who to, yeah. we, we know who to hire. And, uh, and it worked, I guess. I worked uh, for about a year um, just working lights and being a video DJ and queuing up stuff and this and that, and kind of soaking up. Um, kind of like the bar the, back of DJ. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And but what it what it what it enabled me to do was really really watch the the, the song choice, how they worked a room, how they beat mixed, mm -hmm. um, and then early evenings, slower nights. I'd you know I'd get on the decks and kind of you know figure it out. And yeah. They'd show me, and I don't remember exactly when I had my first sort of night on my own, but um, that was the end of that. And how long did it take you to learn how to beat mix? Oh gosh, I don't even remember because it was a little bit here and there for yeah. a long time. But because it's I've not seen a... you, I've seen you uh, beatmix recently, and more than mildly intoxicatedly. I, I remember <laughs> this was at Jaeger, oh, I think. Remember okay. this? And you were just went up, you know, without a net, and I was just like, I don't know if Dean's gonna be able to pull this off. And it was a work of genius. I had never. <laughs> I, it was. It was like you know what I mean. Everybody was enjoying the stew as it were but i mean to see how it was made was brilliant so i was just kind of watching you just kind of like ah whatever and it was just the hands of a trained professional that you know i mean all instinct you know it was just everything there all is the a lot training of, had kicked in like yeah. it didn't matter at that oh, point. it's, like, it it's like, like it really is like riding a bike ultimately yeah. and i'll be honest with you i don't remember the night you're talking about <laughs> but i can guarantee you that i've dj'd many more nights much more intoxicated yeah, yeah. than that and and that's not I'm no not no it's not a point of pride yeah, yeah. That. Um, but uh, once you get in that groove, um, it really does become, I mean, your hands are doing things and your brain is doing things that aren't conscious. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I find right. to really, you know, uh, uh, be the whole transcendent part of it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, anyone, yeah, I mean, you can be, you can look at a chart and figure out what songs are going to be hot. But to actually, you know, make something organic out of it, a lot of times on the fly, I find to be amazing. Right. And the other, and, and and to to comment on that, I mean, I was somebody who I wasn't looking at charts to find out what would be hot. Mm -hmm. I was making the charts. Yeah, exactly. And and that's another sort of skill is to hear in advance. And I got pretty good at this, and I got really quick at this too, because in the period when I was DJing full time, which were five nights a week, different genres every mm -hmm. night, you'd basically work at one club, and you had to do a different different shtick every night. Yeah. You know, so I'd be doing well, I don't know disco one night or R and B, whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, during the day, I would hit. I had uh, had really good relationship with some of the local labels uh, or the, the national labels, their local offices, and I and I would, uh, you know, I just bop around and, and and hit the offices once a week, and they'd give me a box of a box of new stuff. Yeah. And and I'd get home and immediately just go through them, you know, and I got really good at going yes, no, yes, no, yes, mm -hmm. no, and it just took take me, you know take me a morning to, or an afternoon to go through and I'd be done and I'd know exactly what I wanted to use the next night I DJ'd. Wow. And the, the labels loved the feedback, good mm -hmm. or bad, because that's exactly what they wanted was somebody to tell them, this is one you should, you should service this to these, this is, you know, yeah. the, or you should, or you should, you know, or, you know, maybe you're not put your, your energies behind here, it. Right, exactly. But if you threw a little exactly. bit of effort into this, might So there something. is some of that too. I mean, that's the stuff that, you know, 
sometimes DJing isn't, you know, the uh, the uh, intoxicated guy up there mixing, which is a technically is important. But there's it's it's prepping for the night almost pulling exactly. back then too when you weren't using laptops, you weren't even using CDs that you could burn. You were yeah. literally pulling records. Um, that you were going to play that night. And sometimes you, out of the brink of obscurity. Well, and you had to do it before you were there. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you were limited by what you had with you, and you had to know in advance and kind of guess what's going to work and what's not going to yeah. work. Because if you don't have what you want to save your save yourself, if you don't have that in the in the bag, you know. You got nothing. You got nothing. Now, um, in, in the, the death of the radio DJ, long since talked about, but and how much... Can't, how much does what you're describing now still exist in, a, in an updated capacity well, in, in dance rooms here? I mean, when it comes to picking songs, you know, that labels might have overlooked, stuff like that. I mean, are there still people putting in that work? Well, there must be. I'm a little bit out of that mm -hmm. loop now. But, it, but it, you still got your ear to the ground? Oh, I do. Absolutely. But it's a whole different thing in the sense that... <clears throat> Um, if I hear a song that I think might work or that I like or whatever, uh, I'm, I'm downloading it two minutes later. Of course. And you know what else? Everybody is. Mm -hmm. It used to be that you knew that this dance shop or this record store were getting yeah, in their have, get, have getting in there. Yeah. Well, they were getting their shipment in on it on a given day every yeah. week, and and uh, and you'd be there. Uh, you'd be there with a couple other DJs that were, you know, chomping at the bit. And, yeah. and you walked out of that store, uh, if you were lucky, with one of maybe two copies that even came into the city. Wow, yeah. So if it became a hit and you were the first one playing, you were the only one playing it for What do you while. remember? What, what's one of your favorites that you helped break? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Um, I remember, I don't know if I could say I broke it, but it comes up sometimes amongst me and my DJ, old DJ friends, is that there was a white label? Uh, it was a. It was, I think it was an unofficial kind of thing. It was a. It was um, a house track, uh, kind of a progressive house track. This is maybe ninety three or ninety four. I'm mm -hmm. talking about really good song, real just hands in the air kind of thing. But it had a sample of Lenny Kravitz in it. Um, can't remember the song, but it was a big guitar riff that everyone knew. Okay. And it was really good. And it just, I mean, it was. It just screamed. And uh, so I got a copy of that, and um, luckily, because there really were only maybe two that came into the city, and I, I remember who got the other one. But uh, so I was playing it pretty regularly, and it was just huge. But what made that great that I got that is that the record did get big nationally, or maybe even internationally, and but they couldn't issue it because they couldn't get the rights to that oh, sample. Okay. Yeah. So they went in and re-recorded those bits and released it officially, but it was never as good as the original sort of bootlegged copy. Okay. And to this day, I don't know if there's anyone else in town that has it. I don't I'm not playing it anymore. Yeah, you yeah. say it's a 30 year 20, 20 year old song, mm -hmm. but um, but that that sticks in my mind as being one of those things where because it wasn't that you necessarily broke a song it's just that you scooped everyone else in town they're, they're all going to be playing it the next week or two weeks later yeah but ideally uh, you'd either still be playing it or you'd be moved on to something else of course now and were you one of the people who would like uh steam off labels no you never did that. nah well the, the other thing too is that back then you couldn't really there was a there was a DJ booth and it was a permanent setup. Nowadays yeah, it's kind of like yeah. you're setting up on a you know you're setting up on a picnic table with you know you're bringing your own turntables mm -hmm. and you're bringing your own laptop or whatever yeah. it is. But no, back then it, it was it wasn't that easy to uh, to see what stuff mm -hmm. was and you know I don't know. 
And uh, we've been talking about how it's been a hard week here. Because I know that you um, were DJing right in the middle of, you know, all of this Prince madness. Was it, now, would this be when you were at the Rogue? I guess it would be the Rogue, right? Well, no, no, no. It was, it, well, what madness well, no, are we well, okay, about? Well, I guess, okay. Uh, because I know that you, speaking of white label, you got handed off uh, a Prince album on his birthday. Is that right? Well, what, is the, what is the white well, label? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 was that was a get off. So well, I and actually, and I'm gonna uh, let me uh, let me put everything on the on the table right now. A lot of this is what I, what I'm talking about is because you've been doing um, a great job curating the news feed out right now. Because you know, obviously, Prince uh, international on Facebook, story right we're now. Talking yeah, about. On, on Facebook, mm-hmm. your your uh, profile has just been every great article out there. So I'd like to see your remembrances in there with all of this mm-hmm. is kind of how I cribbed my notes for today. So gotcha. like I'm giving you half bits and pieces and just kind of putting them in front of you and seeing and seeing where you go with sure. them. Sure. But yeah, so you're, you know, DJ, uh, you know, really when many the Minneapolis sound meant something and it was fresh and it was new and it was exciting. And um, you I, I assume you had you did you have any actual interactions with the man or was it all just kind of like, you um, know, with that guy over in the corner like, you know, just No, I I, I did. I t- I I I I talked to Prince a couple times. I saw him all the time. Really? Uh, and this is back in the club still. This is before Paisley Park or mm-hmm. even before he opened his own club uh, Glam, Glam Slam. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was at you know he was out at the clubs, and it wasn't just First Avenue, which which you know everyone knew he was at First Avenue all the time. But he made the rounds, you know, mm-hmm. and and whether it was Pacific Club where I was uh, worked for four years, uh, post Graffiti's and Sheiks, mm-hmm. um, but even Graffiti's and Sheiks, he was in there fairly often. Um, and when I started there, like I said, it was '84, and it was the fall of '84. And if you think about it, this is um, this is the summer of Purple Rain. Yeah. I mean, um, I was already a big Prince fan at that point. I was already collecting you know records and and, and his uh, in in particular but um you know he was he, and it was just prior to me getting hired there but he was bringing the promos down for uh, well controversy which was the previous mm-hmm. uh, couple albums and stuff uh, but uh, I'm trying to remember uh, well, windows cry you know or uh, uh, I mean he I remember the copy of When Doves Cry that, in fact, I, I have it. Shh, don't. I have the copy of When Doves Cry that he brought down on his birthday in 1984, which was Jeez. June. Wow. And um, so he was, what, 24 years old or something. Wow. But um, so so I guess what I'm getting at, what I'm leading up to in a really long, dragged, dragged out way, is that by the time I was in the mix or in the in the, in the the booth and, mm-hmm. and, and queuing up videos and learning how to, how to DJ, um, a, a good percentage of what we would have written out as our top 20, and I still have all these lists too, but we would do a tw- top 20 every every month. Um, and, you know, put it up in the record stores and things like that yeah. so people knew what, what was being played at Graffiti's or what was being yeah. played at First Avenue or whatever. So, uh, but if you look at the charts that we did at that time, it's literally half of it is is is, is Sheila E. It's Prince. It's yeah. Apollonia. It's SOS Band, which is Jimmy and Terry. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's 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 all Minneapolis stuff. Half of it is, and that also included. I mean, we were playing uh, the replacements, and we were playing uh, you know the church. And, and see, the, in, in current Minneapolis, I find this kind of surprising because it seems like Minneapolis is the first to turn its back in a lot of ways on like something big that's happening here like we want it first and then we'll let go you of think it and so? move something on yeah i, do. I don't know about that i yeah. mean not in my world at least because yeah. we embraced it and ran with it and and this is um, it i realized this week in my sort of uh, you know uh, I, I i was really hit by prince dying for the obvious reasons that everybody was but also i realized how personal it was for me in the sense that i learned how to do what i've done for the last 30 plus years i learned how to do it with his music yeah it it was integral in my first 
years of DJing, it was a major part of it. It was half of our chart, you know, in those first few months. Yeah. And it never went away because what would happen was is by the time you were playing the last single off Purple Rain, he was dropping the new single off of the course. next album yeah. and everyone went nuts for it. Yeah. You know, or you hoped that they did, you know, but you you uh, you you know, you'd figure out ways to work in the songs that they didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I I'll, I remember every single new Prince song from that point on. I remember, you know, playing. For you the remember? First time. Yeah, you remember? You know, I remember Kiss. I remember Alphabet Street. I remember getting. I mean, I remember he. You know, him bringing out some of those records and us getting to hear them for the first time and when we a, yeah. when we played them live. And was that a big part of? Do you think that was part of his? You know, the, the creative process. It's like you know, let's see it how it works in front of an absolutely. Audience. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So these were, were, were these final mixes. Do you think these were some, like you know some yeah, were not, but in, some were just like let's see how this works right now. Exactly. Wow. Uh, some were test pressings that I know for a fact. Uh, Ultimately, were released in different forms. Mm-hmm. Um, some were some were promo label promos or or white label promos that he would leave with us, and mm-hmm. that, that usually those were final Warner Brothers of pressings. Course. Yeah, but uh, but they weren't always. Some of them were some of them, like I said, were test pressings that ultimately changed, and that was pretty neat to hear. But wow. not only were we hearing these songs f- for the first time, but we were hearing them for the first time. You know, in front of a crowd. Yeah. I mean, we were dropping them sight unseen, you know, or unheard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's also kind of neat to think that you were watching Prince uh, soak also it up on a big it. system yeah. with a crowd, yeah. seeing how they reacted, hearing, hearing, hearing how it sounds on a really big, good professional system. You know, he he'd probably heard that song over and over by the time it was on a test pressing, but to hear it in that setting was different. Entirely. And he, like I said, did not have his own soundstage, did not have his own club at this point. Mm. So this was his chance to hear what he had. Put you know, through its paces. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Well, what kind of? Did you ever get any feedback from one or anything like this? Nope. Never. Yeah. Nope. And did you, um, I assume you had to hand, hand the copies back? Like. Yeah. Know, if they did. Well, usually we were deal back then. It was um, Prince had a Prince had a half had a half brother Dwayne who uh, has passed away, but he was they were the same age in the same grade, but okay. um, shared a father. So yeah. You can do the math on that. Uh-huh. But um, Dwayne was a nice guy. He was a lot taller. Uh, he was Prince's sort of. You know, not bodyguard. He was like his sidekick, go-to conciliary. Guy. Exactly. So he, you know, if they were in the club and everyone knew when they were in the club, I mean, because they'd call ahead and have to clear a booth out. You know, yeah, even you know. even that early. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, and then, um, you know, they'd show up and every once in a while, then Dwayne would walk up to the booth and you know, we were excited. We yeah, were thrilled. Right. I mean, this is what Just we waiting. wanted. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we were, it was so. You know, you want us to. I mean, we didn't even mix these things in. We would just yeah, exactly. we would just fade the music out, drop them cold, let them play the whole eight nine minutes, whatever yep. they were, and then. Hand it back, and were they? And of course, we're mentioning like the the hits, but were there any misses in the lineup? Do you remember? Mm, I don't remember any misses. So it was I mean, all you know. Well, if, if, if you got if you got, about, if you got remember, an album, it was all good. Well, one in particular that I remember was a test pressing was "Bat Dance," and uh, uh, not one of my favorite Prince tracks. I think that's that can be said, yeah. But uh, so I guess that would be the least of the hits. But but, but I mean, still you know, still worked on it. It was a thrill to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were all excited about this soundtrack for this movie. I mean, but for better or worse, none of us had heard anything from it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so it was exciting, regardless. I didn't care if it, if it cleared the floor. We were playing a new Prince song. Yeah, exactly. Forget about it. Yeah, this is why yeah. you're in Minneapolis. We can get him back. We can get him back yeah. next yeah. song. Right. Um, and this guy is kind of brings me to one of my next questions. Um, since you have done such a great job curating the news feed and you have such a wealth of knowledge, what uh, are some of your favorite lesser-known Prince tracks, if anything springs to mind? Yeah. Because there's such, I mean, how many damn albums were there? I mean, there's just so 30 much. 30-some, yeah. if, you, if you count. I mean, and you, if that's just averaging ten songs per album, I mean, there's just a whole bunch. And people talk about the vault. People right. talk about just imagine right. all the stuff that no one's heard. And I'm just like, I can't even imagine all the stuff that has been heard because there's just so much. Yeah. I mean, really, you could go through and release stuff 
you know, the, the say that was unreleased that came out in like you know '99, and people would probably go like, "Oh wow, this is great!" Right? Like I never. Oh, wow, I wonder why he didn't release this because nobody knows that he did. You know? Right, right, right. And I've discovered a few you know sort of lost gems recently mm-hmm. too, just because I'm. Well, I'm sort of digging and obsessing and reliving some of the some, some of that, and and sort of being reminded of things that I forgot about, or actually hearing things that I might not have even noticed before. Mm-hmm. Because there was an era when he was putting out stuff, you know, digitally, uh, MPG Music Club or yeah. whatever, and the that glyph a lot. Period yeah, and and a lot of that sort of uh, you know kind of flew right by me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't by that point. I wasn't playing that kind of music in the clubs. Yeah. I was way into the house music and it was nothing but house music. Yeah. And if somebody like Prince did a house mix, it always sucked, you know. Okay. Um, you know, it had to be a true underground house for me to, you know, want to, well, for me to like it. Yeah, you know? yeah. But, uh, so there was an era that I kind of lost the, you know, you know, the thread a little bit. And, and, um, and, and so, and, but here's the, here's the thing. And, and this is before he passed away too. I, I, I was sort of readdressing some of these things like, you know, saying, wow, I, I, never heard this before and i would say that even through some of the low periods there's there are gems yeah. all throughout and i and 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 when you ask me what are some of my favorite it's 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 for an artist that i've really loved a lot of what he's done and not everything believe me but i've loved a lot of what he's done um and there are eras that i like but i would almost have to break break down like these are my top 10 favorite 80s Prince songs. These are my top really? 10 okay. sort of yeah. glyph era Prince okay. songs. These are my top 10 unreleased Prince songs. These are my top 10, you know, album cut, non-singles. And then maybe you could get some stuff that would be noticed because if I had to pick like my top 20 songs, they'd all be obvious. Okay. Yeah. I think. Yeah, but I mean, but for the overlooked, mm-hmm. for the lesser known, yeah. what, what springs to mind? What's like some, some um, criminally underheard? Well, there was, I, there's one of my favorite uh I guess it would be six years old now because it was on an album called 2010, yeah, which, so which is doing the math on that. Yeah. yeah, which which is interesting because that was I don't even think that was ever released in America. He released it, was it? in the no. UK free in like the Daily yes, Mail or something. Yeah, it yeah. just came out free. I, I ended up ordering a copy pretty cheaply back then from eBay or something because mm-hmm. they were floating around in the UK. They were well, yeah, dime a dozen. Got nobody, one. Yeah, yeah, nobody cared. Right? I mean, Prince was at a low point, kind mm-hmm. of. But I'll tell you, there's a cut on there called Sticky Like Glue, which I think holds up against anything he's done of yeah. any era. I think it's fantastic. And I guess that's my point is that if you, you know, maybe not every album, but but maybe every three or, you know, every two or three albums, there's going to be some really, really good, like, you know, top-notch Prince cuts. Yeah. You know, that's one of them. I like... Um, from the kind of the uh, the NPG Music Club era, which was not only glyph era, but like the worst of the glyph era, because it was sort of not even on a label. He was putting out whatever he wanted. Yeah, there's and nobody no, even knew. There's... Even fans didn't know it was coming out. Yeah, but there's a song called "Super Cute" that that sticks with me, and there's a song called "Northside," which ironically that's where yeah, we are right, where now. We are right now. There's a song. Um, I kind of made a mix for myself of my favorite stuff of, that I didn't know from that era, and it's actually pretty good. I, 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 if I'd have known you were going to ask me this, I would have sort of well, no, yeah, looked over it. But, but um, I guess the point of it all is that there's good stuff throughout his whole career. There really is. Mm-hmm. You just got to sometimes you got to sift sift through some some of it, though. I mean, it's odd that you know when an artist you know finally breaks the shackles of the major label and, and there's initial optimism because it's like now finally I don't have any of these concerns mm-hmm. I don't have all these people mm-hmm. you know on my back but sometimes boy you really need all those concerns yeah. and all those people on your back At you least, really need well, someone to kind of separate you know separate the chaff from the wheat cut some meat off the bone absolutely you know? an editor yeah i mean you know if prince had his way even back in the day he would have been releasing three albums a year or more he just wanted yeah. to he just wanted the music out there all the time what was happening back in the warner brothers days is either a lot of stuff wasn't getting released as we all know now or 
he'd put out the album and then you'd get remixes, you get B-sides, you get a whole bunch of extra tracks for the next, you know, till the next album came out as extra tracks, which now if he ever, if they ever do reissue this stuff would be great bonus tracks. They're already they're not even unreleased. They're yeah. out there, but some of the B-sides are the best things he's ever done. Yeah. You know, 17 days, uh, you know, how, uh, she's always in my hair. How can yeah. you don't call me anymore? These are some of the best songs he's ever done. They were never on a proper album. Yeah. You know? And so, what do you think is going to happen now? I assume every album is going to become a box set. You know, well, Paisley Park is going to become Graceland. Which I mean, before even those articles ran, I'm like, that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just no way around it. Well, even though I'm sure it would do fine. I mean, it was a successful business as it was. You know, as a soundstage. You mm-hmm. know, people used it. It, it was got, at one point. I'm yeah. not sure that it still was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that. I think I, I, I think people are <clears throat> recording. You know, of course, music in their homes, and they don't have and, the budget and digital digitizing them and sending them to their collaborators. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it does. It you just don't have to spend the money on a world class studio to do something really, really good anymore. Yeah, of course. And so that's kind of where that is. So it would be my, you know, I would love to see Paisley Park remain an operational studio. But if it hasn't been doing that outside of Prince's, Prince's own work, work. anyway, yeah, then yeah. then then what are you going to do? Yeah, I don't want to see it torn down. Certainly. Well, no, I don't think I don't think we're going to see that. No, it'll but be. I mean, it's just you know they'll it, probably put it this way. They'll probably make more money with visitors coming to a museum or a Graceland type of situation then they will trying to sell this studio space yeah. out in the boondocks no, you're, you're for right. some you know for some no. band then, the soundstage is a different story I don't know how much that gets used but then but. I'm worried that it's, that it's going to end up as tacky as Graceland you know, yeah like very well might be. every you know sure yeah, because um, I mean what, regret- Prince Tacky? What are you well, t- well, no, but I mean, he was <laughs> no, good at not having his name on shit. He was good at taking a step back, and now when you have a trust or something like well, that involved, then suddenly, yeah, you know, you can buy Prince Mints at Paisley Park. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can get all that stuff. Yeah, we're going to sound- hear, we're going to, yeah, I read recently someone commenting that we could be, you know, hearing Prince music on a purple Skittles commercial. Exactly. You know, it's, it, yeah. 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 I mean, that's not a joke. And mm-hmm. you know what? I'm, I'm willing to bet if we were to listen back in this in two years, we'd be like, wow, we really nailed that one. Yeah. Cause it's, Which, but it's just, it's, it's going to depend on who's, who's in charge. And it's sad. I mean, because I mean, well, I've definitely been up and down in my own Prince fandom, it, but you know what? The, he was good enough not to over pimp himself out. And I'm worried that that's going to change. In now. some ways, I would agree. Yeah. In that way, well, and, absolutely. And, 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 so where, in what ways do you disagree? Well, I, I think Prince, is, Prince can pimp himself out with the best of them yeah. If, yeah. in some capacity. But as far as like his music being used in you know Cadillac commercials or mm-hmm. or Skittles or anything else, it's you know it hasn't. You know, I mean, yeah. he's held t- held on tight to the, to the rights, and he's always wanted the rights to his music. He's fought yeah. for years to and get the, successfully, he, unlike most. So he regains the rights to his music and then dies. Yeah. You know, which is unfortunate. But what that means is is that who's ever in charge of his estate ultimately Whoever is going to have yeah. right is going to end up with those rights. And uh, who knows? Maybe they'll want the money and they'll c- cash them out to Warner Brothers or something. Or I don't know who's yeah. going to be who. Who you know? Sheila E's fighting to have some control. And I thought that was cool. I mean, and, and, and some people, I when Jimmy Jam uh, came out and said that he'd like to curate this, mm-hmm. I remember reading some comments. Well, he said he wanted to produce it. Which, well, yeah, it was, some people thought that was tacky, and then he was kind of you know circling the corpse. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad that there's some damn names showing up saying, you know sure. what, it doesn't have to just be you right. know somebody's cousin. Right. You know, like there are people very interested in do this who who right. have you know more than a modest. Back 
background in this. Right. Well, which is why I've argued that that I don't care in the end who's making the money, if it's his sister yeah, or his half brothers and yeah, sisters yeah. or Warner Brothers. I, it needs a good curator. It needs somebody that has a, a respect for what's in there and knows what's in there and not too heavy handed with production. And yeah. by that, I mean, I've seen people toss out names like Rick Rubin or even Jimmy Jam, which yeah. I think would be a little too heavy handed well, yeah. if you're actually talking about production. It just needs somebody to curate it, hand off the right songs from the right era to the right people if they need any post-production because yeah. they're probably all finished. I'll go for another. Yeah, another one here too. Yeah. But I mean, when something that uh, that I become very fearful of is like an Otis Redding, uh, a Buddy Holly, you know, where there are these new albums coming out every two years for another 15 years after they die. Mm -hmm. I mean, Buddy Holly's last album, I believe, came out like in 1968, and it sounded like an album from 1968, which is just weird and ghoulish and horrible. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I just I would just hate to see that happen to Prince, but it would not surprise me at all. Well, ex except for the fact that I think the way Prince might differ from Buddy Holly. And I can't. I don't know enough about Buddy Holly's unreleased recordings, but Prince has got. Well, yeah, you do actually, because all half of his hits came out after he died. Okay. I mean. Okay. Really. Okay, I mean, it, it's, I gotcha. it's uncanny okay. how much of that stuff ended up happy. Well, he, he recorded demos for some stuff in an apartment that they put a gotcha. band behind, and suddenly it's so easy. Right. And like these are all hits that okay. we all know now. But they were, but they were more or less finished after the fact, or well, very much you know, so. Yeah, he and, had a and, he had a good and, vocal and, take. Right. So it. here, here, what I'm talking about is a vault full of music that is. Well Most thought. of which yeah. finished. Yeah. In fact, he's got fully produced, fully realized, fully completed songs, many of them sequenced into albums. There are full albums yeah. that, that are done. I mean, this doesn't need production. It yeah. just needs somebody to maybe master it or mix it, perhaps. And then, and then uh, you know, package it properly, and not just you know do some tacky, schlocky, like low budget kind of thing. But somebody well, that would be consistent with the last several it, years. Well, maybe you know, but now that you know, well. You're right. I mean, I when when he he when he got his rights back to all the old Warner Brothers stuff, they got the rights to distribute it. So mm -hmm. in I I've been long before he passed away. I think I and many others were hoping that that uh, some of these Prince albums would be reissued deluxe, you know, remastered of with course. deluxe packages and this and that. Now that could still happen. Yeah. I mean, they could do a Purple Rain four CD set of 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 unreleased or remixed or and stuff from the era. I'm not talking about even touching. Uh, you know, a producer doesn't have to touch it. Yeah, it's just compile done. it. Yeah, and 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 someone's going to make a ton of money on that if it's done smartly and, and and tastefully and right. You know, and and he could do that for every album. Now, some albums weren't as big as Purple Rain, but there's good stuff. You know, there's great stuff in every era that he's done, and I think it just needs somebody like Susan Rogers, who was his longtime yeah. engineer. Or even Alan Leeds, I don't know how much in, uh, involvement he had with the vault or knows what's in there, but he's a good, you know, with respect for the history of Prince's, uh, yeah. um, he you know, what legacy. He could move forward with good faith knowing what Prince probably would have wanted. Exactly. Handing, handing just off. squeezing right, out handing the last bit on. of blood. Right. You don't want, you know, someone from the revolution producing, you know, producing or remastering or mixing something that came out in, you know, in the Glyph era or well, vice and, versa. And, and, I mean, how much did the revolution even play on a lot of that stuff, too? I mean, well, I some of it they did, some of yeah, it they didn't. But yes. I mean, just because you know your name was on the cover doesn't necessarily right. mean. But they were of the era, yeah, so no it, so I would have. I guess my point is, I would just have less of a problem of stuff getting handed off to the right people. You know, there's Mike Koppelman was an engineer in the you know Graffiti Bridge and the, and the up through Diamonds and Pearls and maybe later. But you know, you wouldn't want him touching any of the you know yeah, the 1981 yeah. era of stuff. And and that's nothing against him. It's just it's just it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
All right, now to uh, switch gears a little bit. All right. Now that we have a new cocktail here. Um, talk about something slightly different. And this is something I've been uh, wanting to ask you for years, and now I finally get to tap some of your proud Italian heritage. Ah. Uh, we had a beloved uh, grocery store uh, here in Northeast closed down a couple years ago, Delmonico's. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who I loved because of their red sauce. I made the mistake of saying this to you once, and you were like, it's pretty good. Mine's better. Now, that's exactly what an asshole says when he's never going to give you any of his red sauce. <laughs> Dean Vaccaro, what I have to ask you right now, what goes in to a good red sauce? All right. Well, here, here's, I can only speak for myself. Well, and apparently it's, it's damn good. Well, so. it is good. And, and Source, it's, Dean Vaccaro. It's, it's, it's what I grew up with. So it's going to be, you know, I mean, everyone loves what their Italian mother or Italian grandmother yep. made for them. So that's why I love what I, it's nothing special, believe me. I will say this. I might have said that mine was better than Delmonico's, but before I was making my family's recipe for myself, I was buying Delmonico's, yeah, and it course. was the best you could get easily. Yeah, yeah. It was really good, and I and and in a pinch, it was it was great. In a pinch, my ass. I mean, I would well, proud. Well, I'd plan around it. Well, entire like meals said, are based well, around. Well, see, I make enough now for myself that I, I you know, I, I've got it for. I freeze half of it, and I go through the rest of it, and you know, I've got red sauce. Always have some red yeah. sauce. It's real easy, you know. But anyway, what goes in mine is nothing special, really. It's just, um, uh, it's red sauce. I don't know what. <laughs> uh, some tomato sauce and tomato paste from a can, basically. Okay, so but I like certain brands, and then uh, and then uh, certain an brands onion. that won't be named. I like I, apparently an, an onion and some garlic and some dry herbs and. That was really and a lot of love. Yeah, wow. And then so, I do the certain, me, I do my meatballs in the sauce too. That adds a nice uh, you know kind of yeah. greasy kind of thing. And I I fry my meatballs first rather than bake them. You know, that's a good adds a little bit of grease. Mm-hmm. And, I, and and it, and it does make a difference if you get the eighty five percent lean versus the ninety five. You want the you know you want a little fat in there. Yeah. But that adds to the red sauce. But honestly, that's it. You want me? To, I'll give you the recipe. I'm not going to go through it right now, but I'll give it to you if you want. I don't think you will. I will. You're, I don't. you're saying you're going to do it, no, but no. you're not going to do it. I've shared it with friends. I just say, just you know, treat it with respect. <laughs> and honestly, I don't think the people that I've given it to, I haven't even heard that they've ever made it. So I don't. I don't know. It's, it's, I'll give it to you. I'll be happy to. It's easy. The girlfriend uh, just got a uh, from a 90 year old Italian grandmother today. Just mm-hmm. got a, a recipe for her red sauce, okay. and I'm like. I'm so glad I'm talking to Dean tonight because you know what? There's going to be like a ba- like a death battle here because okay. you know she was like, "There's no way this can't be the best damn sauce you've ever had." I'm like, "Well, well, here's the thing: a lot of people like a lot of chunky stuff in there. You know what I mean? And me. I'm, no, me neither. And uh, but that's that's a different style of sauce that, or a lot of people will do their big, you know, chunky or not, they'll have all sorts of sausage and meat, you know, going yeah, yeah, in there all day and doing yeah. all that. But that's you know, I just like a straight old. Um, it's not thin. It's nice and thick, but yeah. it's not chunky. Mm-hmm. And I just make it straight like that with the meatballs. But then what that enables me to do is, uh, you know, uh, I can scoop some out to warm up with uh, pasta a week later and add some crushed red pepper. Or I can add sausage to it. Or I can add this. So I like making my huge vat of red sauce as a very basic kind of thing that I can can alter for the... Because I just live by myself. I eat by myself most of the time. Well, that's uh, not true. you got a lovely dog. I do have a lovely Nina. dog. Yes, I do. Yes, but she doesn't. She'll lick the bowl sometimes. You let her do that? Eh, sometimes. Yeah. yeah, she's a little on the heavy side now. But anyway, <laughs> point point oh, the point I'm getting at right. Point I'm getting at is is that uh, I, it's a lot of red sauce for me to go through, even when I freeze half of it. And so I just like to ver- you know make variations and go with yep. go with that. Just that's it. I'll I'll I can go through. I mean I like. Okay. 
You want me to? No, we're not right now. No, okay. no, it's good. It's good. It's good. Right. I was just wondering if that, what the secret was to a good. There's wrestling. no secret. It's just it's a lot love. Of, a lot of love. Yeah. Love. And, 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 and here's the answers. other thing too. In, in, and and yeah, give I, me the real truth. You're holding out on me, Dave. No, no I'm not. No, here's the thing. Well, here's the other thing too. Is I've that put not, a lot of love only, into a lot of things over the years, and it hasn't always worked. I feel like, and for me, it's really special. I love it even more because when it's cooking, I smell my grandmother's house in wow. my house. Wow. Okay. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm. Um, uh, I don't know, continuing her legacy in a in a way. I'm I'm and it means a lot to me, so I think it tastes better to me just for that reason. I, I've never had anyone eat it that didn't absolutely go bonkers over it. But I know that it means more to me and probably tastes better to me for a lot of other reasons. Oh. I don't know. Okay. It's pretty simple. Dean, thank you very much for doing dive bar mitzvah today. That's it? That's it. All right. Well, I mean, you still have some wine. Don't, I'm not oh, kicking I'm not... you out or anything. You know, we're good. All right. Well, nothing else? Nothing else? We got it? Well, I don't know. What? You got anything you want to talk about? I don't know. Let me think. Well, actually, I... I yeah, what do you have to plug? You got anything to plug? I, I do actually have... Uh, be, uh, uh, there is a... Well, one thing I can't really mention, it's not locked in yet, but that's horrible I'll just tease you. You really got it. I mean, you know. Okay, well, one thing that's going to happen, I believe it will be on Prince's birthday, which is June 7th. I'm going to be doing a, they're at Hi-Fi Heron Records. There's yep. going or to be Loring a, Park. yeah, Loring Park. They're doing a, Bennett, uh, a fundraiser for the Minnesota Music Coalition. Uh, on Prince's birthday, and they asked me to do a sort of a purple party there uh, after the uh, after the day of haircutting and whatnot. So that'll be fun because it'll be a chance for me to actually dig out some of these old Prince records. And, yeah. and I haven't really. I mean, I you're actually bringing vinyl. Cause I know that you went di- you went full digital. You digitized a lot of your old your old vinyl. And I that's did. What you'd been using. Are you bringing vinyl out for this? Or are you I've, gonna go? I think I will, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it is a lot more heavy. It is a lot more heavy, but it's so much more fun. Yeah, and 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 at this point, that's my point of difference too, in the sense that um, not everybody's got all the old Prince vinyl. I mean, of a lot of people do, but you know, a lot of the DJs are just playing off laptop. And granted, if I if if I bring a laptop, I can play some unreleased stuff and some you know digital only things, yeah. but or CD only things or whatever. But uh, the vinyl is God, it's so fun, yeah. and it's so and I've got so much of it. It's kind of fun to put it to use a little bit, you know. Otherwise, it's just. Kind of, what you know, it do? it's yeah. just an archive right yeah. now, and, and, and you've I'd got a to, library, and I'd love to use it. Right? Yeah, so that'll happen, and then actually, um, there's something in the works. Um, some of the uh, some of the old school uh, Minneapolis funk DJs are talking about getting something together. Really? And, uh, yeah. So we'll just. Uh, and so I assume they could look at your Facebook page. Yes, they could look at my Facebook page. It will be. It will be. Um, I actually asked if I could plug it, and it's just uh, today on the podcast. But it's not quite locked in, and we don't want to give no, anything. No, that's fine. We don't want to give anything away yet, and it's not locked in. And so you don't want to uh, curse yourself. You don't want to get the jinx. curse it. So, so but, but but watch for that. It'll be. Fu- I think it'll be pretty cool. So yeah, I mean, and, and if you're not friends with Dean on Facebook, you know, at least follow him uh, because there's some great stuff out there. I mean, really, there's two Facebook pages that I check all the time. That's Old Minneapolis, and if I've been out of town for a while or something, and I just want to catch up on stuff, I go to your page well there you go it's like it's like it's like my primer it's like the stuff i would be interested in i just go there so you know be sure to follow him because if nothing else he's got that great stuff and you know you can find out about this you know well it's 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 the mix of dj dean vaccaro and old minneapolis because this is the old these are the old guys these are the old guys that were there in the day you know playing the stuff it's oh it'll be that'd be great yeah that'd be amazing yeah it'll be fun I'm in. All right. I'll be there. All right. All right, everybody. Uh, Dean, yet again, thank you for coming down and hanging out with me at 2Ds on Lowry. I'd like to thank them uh, for not kicking us out. It's yeah. Been, it's been nice. Um, and your wine still gets a passing right. grade. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
Sure. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Um, all right. So, everybody, thanks for listening thus far. But guess what? We still have more to talk about. So, Cinco de Mayo is coming up, everybody, uh, which is good, which is exciting. Uh, an important day of, of Spanish heritage. Um, or is it Mexican heritage? Mexican or Spanish? Mexican. Is it Mex- Mexican mm-hmm. heritage? Yeah. Right, it's an important day in Mexican heritage. That's all I know. Uh, and we're going to salute that this Tuesday, tomorrow. I guess this is going to come out on Monday. So the Tuesday we're going to be saluting it. But that is not Cinco de Mayo. No, that is Trace de Mayo. Uh, and we're going to have the 1700 peso salute to Cinco de Mayo uh, this this Tuesday at, uh, at Clubhouse Jaeger for Triviasco. So we're going to give away 1700 pesos to the grand to the grand prizes. What does that equal in a one hundred dollars? Whoa, that's yeah, no, pretty it's good. That's still not bad, right? It's not. It's not as good as seventeen hundred. No, but, but I, for all I knew, it could have been three dollars. Yeah, no, 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 but it's not bad. Yeah, so seventeen hundred pesos. <laughs> we're giving out for the trade to Mayo uh, Tuesday at. Don't laugh at me. I, I forgot how to talk. Um, at, at, at Clubhouse Jaeger. It's going to be a hoot. And when you show up to Jaeger, uh, please stop by and ask for one of the delightful uh, Dive Bar Mitzvah t-shirts. Yes, we have them. All you have to do is find me at Jaeger uh, every Tuesday or occasional Wednesdays at Gastov's uh, in Northeast Minneapolis, and I will be sure to hook you up. Um, they're they're wonderful. They're very well done shirts, and they're made by our friends at FGC Creative. And let me tell you about them, because we have the deal of the year coming up. We're going to have Dive Bar Mitzvah is helping FGC Creative uh, celebrate their one-year anniversary. And what better way to celebrate than custom screen-printed t-shirts for the low, 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 low price of $2.99 each. Yeah, that's right, buddy. $2.99 each. It's just our way of saying thank you for making their first year a big success. So, yeah, everybody, all you have to do is go to fgccreative.com slash divebar. And they're also behind divebarmitzvah.com, our new website, which looks a lot better than this ragtag podcast deserves. So go there, do all your listening, do all your liking there, tell the world. And uh, some of our other sponsors, of course, Stand Up Records. We like our comedy like we like our booze. Straight up and bitter. Check them out at StandUpRecords.com. They have new albums out all the time. They've got a new one out uh, coming out this week by Patrick Sussmelch, last week's guest. There's also stuff up there. Uh, Mary Mack, Maggie Ferris all have new albums out. So go check them out. Uh, And also, if you have a Roku device, go to the channel store, go under comedy, and download the Stand Up channel. All of the stuff you like on Stand Up Records, but hell in video form and it even features some old episodes of drinking with ian the only place i let them out at and last but not least paps blue ribbon add extra flair to those leisure time activities put original paps blue ribbon in the picture people of good taste naturally go for its old time beer flavor original paps brewed as it was when it won the blue ribbon in 1893 so next time put yourself in the picture enjoy original paps blue ribbon like i am right now mm-hmm. can't get enough of that good stuff all right everybody thanks for listening we'll see you Either next week or in a while. I don't know what's going to happen with this whole European thing. I'm planning on doing episodes over there, but I'm sure my girlfriend is also planning on me not doing these things when I'm over there, so we'll find out. Why don't you interview your girlfriend? Like, on various stops on the trip. I have enough uh, self-esteem issues without having them flung in my face, Dean. All right. Just a thought. I don't know. You know, it, it might could be, be funny. It could be funny. It could be as you. good as Alec Baldwin punching it be, on it. It could be as funny. It could be funny for you, but I don't put this <laughs> podcast together to have people laugh at me. I am the thin veneer of people laughing with me is cracking away moment by moment. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, we will see you next time. <laughs>